So a long, long time ago, when I was just finishing college, I, uh, I took a, a unit of uh, clinical pastoral education. And so I uh, took actually a couple of them. One was pastoral counseling, didn't do very well there. Then I said, well, I'll try chaplaincy, didn't do very well there either. But for, for a summer, I was a full-time chaplain at the Royal Alexander Hospitals in this, in this uh, training program that they have. And once I'd finished my, they'd read my reports from my last unit and they'd give me some tests and they said, you are headed for a heart attack given your personality and the way that you approach things. So we are making you the chaplain of the clinic of the intensive. What the same was the name of it? When you have a heart attack and you're in intensive care, intensive cardiac care unit, and then when you get out of there and you go up to whatever floor in the Alex, when you're going to make it and you're not going to die, and away you go. You are the chaplain for that. Alan. Okay. So here I went trying to learn to be the chaplain. And part of that job was I would go on rounds with, the, with the, the, the nursing team and the doctor's team and all this stuff. And the Alex is a teaching hospital. So it made for a fascinating thing. And I remember one time uh, I was going, you know, part of the crew. And so you had the main boy there and he had all these uh, residents, you know, gathered around and five or six of them or whatever. And they go follow him around. Like, you, you see the ducks and the geese right now? And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, so they go around and they gather around this thing and I'm standing there. And I remember this one time we were standing around this poor guy's bed. He was out of intensive care and he was up on the, on the regular ward. And so uh, they come up and so the, the main dude there, he looks at his chart and whatever. And then he starts talking to these residents. Well, this patient with his heart, blah, 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 blah upper chamber, blah, 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 blah. Total gobbledygook, you know, don't understand this. And then, you know, a resident would ask the question, but isn't that because of blah, blah, well, maybe so. And so this, all this technical language, and I was watching this poor guy, this specimen, laying in the hospital bed. And the longer that that cardiac guy, the longer he talked and the more the residents asked questions, this poor guy's eyes are getting like this, you know, with all this technical language. Nobody had a clue what these guys were talking about because, you know, they're speaking medicalese. And so it's like, you hear heart, you hear blood, live, maybe. So, you know, these odd words that you understand in the English language pop out. And this guy, and so then they all turn to leave. And this guy's like white by now. I think his heart almost quit. So I said to this guy, I think he says you're getting better. <laughs> I mean, I, oh, yeah, yeah, he comes back to, oh, yeah, we're talking about all, the, all these different things. Now, the thing is, when you're exposed to technical language like that, that you don't understand, it can get really scurry. And if they're not talking about you and your heart and whether or not you're going to live or die, it can actually get kind of boring. Here's the thing. The passage that we're going to look at today, to really get a grasp of it, Honestly, it, there's some really technical stuff in here. I know it reads like a very simple story. And at one level, it is a simple story. But there's a bunch of stuff happening under the surface that, that's kind of technical. And what I'm, if I go into all of that, you're going to be wishing you're the person in the cardiac care unit because it's better than listening to me. So I'm going to try and keep that to a minimum. But we're going to have to do some of that stuff to do with language and so on. So just kind of stick with me. But let me give you, let me give you the bottom line, the guiding light, so that you know if you get lost in what I'm talking about, this is where we're heading, okay? And here's what it is. We're going to have it up on the screen here. It's this. It's good that you're good, but that's not good enough. You need to be a new person. Okay? That, that's where we're going. That's what we're going to describe. It's good that you're good because you're all very, very nice people. Well, at least most of you. It's good that you're good. But that's not good enough. You need to be a new person. You need to be a new person. Now, 
Let's read the story and then we'll dive into it. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. You know the story, right? Many of you have been around churches. And he was a member of the Jewish ruling council or the Sanhedrin, the group of 70 guys that kind of ran how things went. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs. Remember that whole thing? Miracles are signs pointing towards Jesus. No one could perform the signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. He had some medical understanding. So what are you saying? What? You must be born again. Jesus said, man, you've just got to do this. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water in the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised because you're a rabbi, a teacher of Israel. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand this stuff? You don't understand the things about the Holy Spirit? Very truly, I'll tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak about heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the one who came from above, the Son of Man. Just as Moses was lifted up, the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. All right, we've kind of got the gist of the story. It's familiar to us, but let's just work our way through it. It starts off by people kind of establishing uh, who you are. And the first person, you, it starts off with Nicodemus. But before we get even to his name, we get his identity marker. There was a man, a Pharisee, named Nicodemus. And what John's trying to do is saying, hey, pay attention now, we're talking about a Pharisee here. Now, it's really important that you suspend all of the negative thoughts you have about Pharisees right now. We kind of get the idea, you know, Pharisees are against Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Well, forget about all of that, because it's not accurate for one thing. It gets a bit more accurate later on. But, but suspend that and understand who a Pharisee was in his culture and at his time. Who were the Pharisees? Well, to be honest with you, they were the spiritual cream of the crop. They were the spiritual elite. They were the God squad. They were the ones that kind of rose up above the, the, the general masses. They were the ones who really had it going on in a spiritual sense. And this Pharisee, this Nicodemus, he was even the kind of the cream of the cream of the crop. He was in the Sanhedrin. He was respected by everybody. He was held up in esteem by his peers and by everybody else. The Pharisees, you see, were very, very serious. More serious than some of us about his relationship with God. 
And this just sort of had this idea, listen, that Israel's under the heel of Rome and they're in trouble because we're not living our life as we should live it. And if everybody would just sort of live by the holiness codes, by the priestly codes, if we'd show ourselves as serious and really believe in God, then God will send the Messiah and Rome will be off our backs. So let's get it together spiritually. Let's take our faith seriously. Let's begin to live it out like we know we should. And matter of fact, let's go above and beyond what the normal person is expected to do. And the Pharisees did it to a remarkable degree. And so they were held in high esteem with great spiritual stature. And because of their life and because of their understanding of of God and of Torah and because they lived it out they, they were sort of seen as people who could judge other people they were seen and given the sort of the um, the the, uh, the ability to sort of say yeah he's in and he's out he's good he's not good right teaching bad teaching in, in, in the common people because the average person would have Pharisees living next door and would see that they lived out what they said they walked the talk And so, the bottom line here is this. If anybody could make it into the kingdom of heaven, if anybody could be saved, if anybody had the spiritual authority to say to other people, this is how it needs to be, it was a Pharisee. And it was certainly a Pharisee like Nicodemus. If anyone's going to make it in, Nicodemus would make it in. That's who Nicodemus was. And so he comes to check out Jesus. And we've already seen the Pharisees have sent some people to check out Jesus. And now here's Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, coming for himself. And he's coming to find out, okay, we hear about this Jesus. We some of the see some of the signs. We've got a bit of a sense. I'm going to go and investigate this guy. I'm going to go check this guy out because maybe, just maybe, he's more than we expect. Maybe, just maybe, he might be the Messiah. And so we're going to go check him out. And he starts off by sort of buttering Jesus up. And he comes in there and he, he gives Jesus the Pharisaic assessment of who he is. And he says, hey, rabbi, rabbi, teacher, leader of God's people. We want to see how you line up. I want to just make sure that what we're thinking about you is accurate. I've got some questions for you. I've got some investigations to make for you. And because we think you're a good guy, because you've been doing these signs. These miracles have been happening around you and you've been doing kind of crazy things up there in the temple, but that's okay because the Sadducees run that place and they're a bunch of jerks, so that's good. And so we just want to sort of check out exactly who you are and what you are about. Now that sounds okay, doesn't it? I mean, here's somebody who is spiritually serious. The sort of person that when you have a conversation with them, you feel like, a man, I better step my game up here a little bit. And he comes and he says these things to Jesus. And it sounds really good. And it sounds very sincere. And it sounds good. And then honestly, Jesus' response to him sounds kind of harsh. As Tim Mackey of Bible Project fame says, he cuts through all of the butting up and says to him, Oh yeah? You need to get a life. I mean, honestly, it's pretty harsh. I mean, here's this spiritual giant who's dedicated his life 
to pursuing the kingdom of God. And he comes to Jesus. Hey, we think you're a rabbi. You're doing all these miracle signs. We think you're on the God team. We kind of want to line up with you. And Jesus' response to that is, yeah, well, you need to get a life, buddy. Pretty tough. You don't just need a new start. You don't just need a a do-over. You don't just need to try a little harder. You don't just need a well, we'll kind of turn a blind eye for that because we know it's a struggle. He says, listen, you want to see the kingdom of God? Which in their lingo meant you want to be a part of the kingdom of God? You need a whole new life. You need a rebirth. A rebirth. If you're going to make it into the kingdom of God, you need a rebirth. Because it's good that you're good. But that's not good enough. It's a lesson. It's so hard for us to accept this. It's hard for us to accept it. It's hard for our kids to accept it. It's hard to our friends to go. I mean, hey, man, you know, we just try our best and we stand before the judge. We say, well, you know, I did my best, Jesus. I'm a good guy. Everyone says I'm a good guy. And God says, yeah, it's good that you're good, but that's not good enough. You need a total rebirth. And then things start to get a little technical, okay? So you've got to hang with me a little bit here. Well, I'll ease you in slowly at the lesser technical part. Because what happens is it looks like Nicodemus has a bit of a misunderstanding. And notice I've got quotation marks around misunderstanding because it's really, it's not really a misunderstanding. Okay, here we go. Pay attention now. In verse 3, this word that Jesus says to Nicodemus, in the NIV translated, you must be born again. There's a few different ways that this word can be translated. And one of the ways it can be translated is you can be born again. That's true. But when John uses this word, as he does throughout the rest of his gospel, it almost always means from above. From above, okay? So what's going on is Jesus comes up and he says, okay, Nicodemus, it's good that you're good, but that's not good enough. Excuse me. If you're going to see the kingdom of God, you need to be born from above or born again. Okay? Now, what happens is Nicodemus chooses the translation or the understanding born again. And so he goes on to this whole kind of a thing about, well, how can a person be born again? You know, can I climb back to my mother's womb? Here's what we need to understand about Nicodemus, okay? And this is, this is a bit of a mind switch for us, okay? Because we see at the end of his life, Nicodemus comes and he's a great guy and conversion has happened. And so we tend to thrust that back onto the first time we meet Nicodemus. Nicodemus does not come into this encounter with Jesus from a neutral position. He comes in actually in a bit of a negative position. If we saw just a few verses above how chapter 2 ends, it ends with this, you know, that it says that many people trusted in Jesus. But Jesus didn't trust in people. You can read the verses just above it, that's what it says. Many people trusted in Jesus, but Jesus would not put his trust in them. Why? Because Jesus knew that what people wanted to do was to take him and put him in their agenda. 
They wanted to take whoever Jesus was and make him, if he's even going to be the Messiah, they're going to make him the kind of Messiah that they want him to be. A Messiah that's going to pick up the sword, a Messiah that's going to throw off Rome, a Messiah that's going to raise Israel back up to its former glory. And so Nicodemus comes as a representative of one of these people. As the people who have seen some of the signs. And I may be thinking that, well, you know, maybe he's a bit more than a rabbi. Maybe he's an extra special rabbi. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, he might be heading towards the idea of a Messiah. And he comes as one representative of those who are ready to grab onto their image of what the Messiah would be. Not how Jesus defined it to be. But Nicodemus not being quite neutral is it says that Nicodemus came at night. Now, if you read the commentaries and so on, there's a, there's a few different things that this could mean. Some people say, well, you know, he came at night because uh, he wanted to be hidden and he, you know, he was afraid that some of the other Pharisees would uh, think badly of him and so he's kind of sneaking in there to get a few sincere questions done because he didn't quite have the courage. Maybe, maybe. Other guys will say, well, no, he, you know, he came at night because... Um, that would give them a long time to talk and theological discussion to happen at night because then you could go on into the night and you wouldn't have to do the daily chores and all those things and Nicodemus wanted some time with Jesus so he came at night. Well, maybe, maybe. But if you remember when we did our introductory stuff in the Gospel of John and the whole light and darkness thing, you know, Jesus came to the light of the world and stuff. You remember that, that in the Gospel of John, darkness is, is pretty much always symbolic of not being with God. It's pretty much always symbolic of being the opposite of light. And of course, Jesus is the light of the world. And so what we've got is Nicodemus who comes sort of as one, you know, that maybe he's Jesus, but we've got an agenda as to who Jesus would be. I'm kind of like that crowd. And he's coming out of the darkness of his understanding of theology and his attitude as a Pharisee and their understanding. He's coming out of that darkness and he's coming in to stand in the light of Jesus. So when we see Nicodemus coming in, he's not coming in as neutral. And that's why Jesus' response to him sounds too harsh to us. Oh, yeah? Listen, buddy, you need to get a light. Ooh, easy. Easy. It's because Nicodemus does not come because he is not neutral. And so when Jesus gives this stark response to him, you need to get a life. You need to be born Anothean, you need to be somehow born from above, or if you want to twist it, born again. And Nicodemus is offended. What are you talking about? Don't you know my record? Don't you know that everybody says that I'm a good guy? Don't you understand that my moral stature in the midst of everybody else, I've never cheated anyone, I've never lied to anyone, I've never betrayed anyone, I've never done the dirty to anyone, I am above reproach. And when I have made a mistake, because we all mess up, I've been absolutely sincere and true in the sacrificial system, I've been following this religion that has been passed down from our father Abraham, I am 100%, I'm as good as you get. And you're telling me that I got to get a life? That I'm so far off the mark 
I can't just do a little do-over. I've got to be totally start over again. And so he answers Jesus with a bit of sarcasm. <laughs> I'm a respected, experienced, mature man. Can I climb back into my mother's womb? You're talking smack. Because you obviously don't understand how hard I work in my spiritual life. We can get that way, can't we? I can. Especially if we're good. Especially if we try hard. Especially if we're kind of sincere in our faith. And we're cruising along, living out our, our faith, and then all of a sudden, Jesus comes to us and says, oh, by the way, Alan, you're completely wrong in this. You're completely off my agenda and trying to squeeze me into your agenda, Alan. Jesus is always getting in the way of the stuff I want to do. The attitudes I want to hold. The things I want to say. And it's really easy to think we're on the street narrow and then all of a sudden we're reading God's word or we're in prayer or we're talking to a brother or sister or we're singing some songs and we think, you know what, do I really believe? Can I really think that God's got a Milliken's room? And it's tough to take. And it was tough to take for Nicodemus. Because Jesus said, hey, listen, it's good that you're good. But that's not good enough. You need a new life. And Nicodemus re resents that, and so Jesus doubles down. Look at verses 5 and 6. Jesus answered, listen, very truly. So whenever you read that in John, truly, truly, or very truly, he uses that as a code word to mean, you sit up and you really pay attention now. Really pay attention, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. What verse 5 and 6 does is define for us verse 3. And so what he's going to do here is explain what water and Spirit is. And this is where it gets really, really hurry. This is when things really get technical now, okay? So now you've really got to kind of double down. Just do a little exercise there. Wake yourself up, you know. Try not to elbow the guy in the head beside you. Okay, so verse 3 is equal to verse 5. And he's going to say, listen, to be born from above, or born again, is to be born of water, and of spirit. That's what it is, okay? To be born of water and of the spirit. And so we've got to figure out what in the world is to be born of water and the spirit. And the problem is there's a dizzying number of suggestions as what it means to be born of water and the spirit. It can mean anything from water, water being um, male's sperm, or water we saw a couple of weeks ago, that water is the Torah. Or all kinds, of, all kinds of suggestions. There's so many of them, I had to make myself a little spreadsheet of all the suggestions and the pros and the cons and all this kind of thing. So I won't go through all of that because, you know, cardiac units. Instead, let me just kind of give you the, the top three, okay? The top sort of three. At least in my opinion, which is the important one. 
That's not really a good joke, but top three according to most people. Number one, and, and this is one we hear quite often, to be born of water and the spirit is to be born of physical birth and to be born of spiritual birth, right? Water being, you know, the water sack before the baby's born, you know. Alan, my water broke. Ah! Okay, that's okay. Born of water and spirit. Okay, that's, that's, could be that. Could be born, you're born physically, but then you need to have a spiritual rebirth brought about by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Second suggestion. Water equals baptism. Baptism being the human half of the covenant-making act with God. Okay? So, unless you're born again, unless you are born of water, that is, you're baptized, you enter into covenant with God, and God does his part of sealing you with the Holy Spirit, then you can't enter the kingdom of God. Good Church of Christ boy, that sounds pretty attractive to me. The third option... The third option is, is kind of the most difficult to understand, but unfortunately it's the one that probably more and more and more and more uh, scholars are, are saying this is what it means, especially as, as the, the, the uh, Jewish Old Testament background to all the things that Jesus did. As that's risen in prominence, this understanding of being born of water and the Spirit has, has risen, okay, into, into uh, it, might, it might be now the majority of contemporary scholars would, would go with this understanding. It's close. So what is it? This is saying this. It's a single idea expressed with two words. Okay, a single idea expressed with two words. It's sort of like it's nice and warm. Okay, for, for those, for grammar nerds among you, and we've got a couple, it's called a hendiedus. It's a fancy word that means two words that mean the same thing joined together. One, oftentimes, as an adjective, separated with and, and then the noun. Okay, it's a, it's a grammatical thing. And so what they're saying is that, listen, what Jesus says, you must be born of water and the spirit, he's using two words to describe the same thing. Water and spirit, it's the same, it's the same event. It's sort of like, the womb water of the spirit. I think we'll put it up on the thing here. What Jesus is saying is that, listen, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you need to be born from above. And what is it to be born from above? It's to be born of the womb water of the spirit. That the spirit, we just said, within the, within the spirit. Now, how in the world do you get that? What's a crazy thing? Well, there's a few different reasons. Number one reason, and the least persuasive is the grammatical structure of the sentence, it's singular, and all, all these different things. And so, and so the way in which it's structured, using singular words, it, it seems like, well, yeah, it's kind of a, a unit, it's the same thing. But more importantly than that, is what scholars are telling us is the Old Testament background to Jesus' statement, which is why he said to Nicodemus, dude, you should know this stuff, because you're supposed to know the Old Testament. You're a teacher of Israel, and you don't understand this pretty simple stuff. All right, so what's the background? Well, you've got to go to the Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, okay?
okay? Ezekiel chapter 36. And this is what Ezekiel chapter 36 says. And scholars are saying, hey, this is, this is the background behind what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, okay? And here we go. It's God talking to Israel. For I will take you out of the nations, and I will gather you up from all the countries, and I'll bring you back into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is God saying, Israel, you're all messed up. But I'm going to give you a new start. I'm going to wash you clean. And then once I've got you washed clean, I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to give you a new spirit. You are going to be born of water and of spirit. And I, God from above, am going to do this. And you know what comes next? Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the Spirit and the Lord set me in the middle of a valley and it was full of dead, dry bones. And he led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very, very dry. And he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? Can these dead people come alive again? From above, can I, God, make a dead person alive again? Can I give them a rebirth? And I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign law says. He says to these bones, I will make breath. I will make the spirit. Breath, spirit, same word. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and I will make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as it was commanded. They sang a song maybe. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. There was no spirit in them. There was no ruha in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign Lord says come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live so I prophesied and as he commanded me and breath spirit entered them and they came to life and they stood up on their feet a vast living Born from above, born again, army, army of the Lord. But you, Nicodemus, are refusing to hear this. 
Because you think that you're good is good enough. But it's good that you're good. But it's not good enough. You need new life. You need me to raise those dead bones of your morality and religiosity and put tendon and flesh and skin on you and breathe my spirit into you so that you will be once again a vast army of the Lord taking forth the light of life. Nicodemus, Alan, it's good that you're good, but that's not good enough. You need to be a new person. You need to be born from above. You need the spirit of God to transform you into a completely new person, a person that was dead into a person who is now alive in the spirit. Okay, but I've been trying really hard to be good, and if my good's not good enough, what do I do? How do I become this living person? How do I become part of this living army of Christ called the church? Well, it's a matter of belief. It's a matter of belief. Nicodemus, what you need to do is give up on trying to be good enough because you will never get there. And other people around you might think that you've gotten there and they might say that you're special and they might put you in some kind of spiritual leadership and you might get to be a leader of the church and you might get to do all those things. Your kids might even think you're okay. God help us. (laughs) But that good's not good enough. Instead, just like Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness and Israel looked upon them and were healed and cured. So I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. And you need to forget about being good enough and fix your eyes on a Messiah, on a God who says, the way for you to come alive again is for me to die for you and then to be buried and then to come alive again and then to ascend to the Father's side and then to send my spirit from above down upon you to remake you because you believe who I am. And I will make you dead, Alan, dry bones, Alan. I will make you alive in the spirit and you will rise up and be born again from above and be a new person Remade by the work of the Spirit, by trusting in Jesus, the true teacher, the true rabbi of Israel.
It's good that you're good. It's good that you're good. There's all kinds of good people. All kinds. But that good's not good enough because it's not perfect. You need to be born from above. And so some of us have been born from above and we are part of that vast army and we have the spirit of God within us and we have been remade and God has given us our marching orders to move the kingdom forward however we can. But maybe there are some with us today, man, you are a good person. You are a good, good person. You mess up, you foul up a little bit, we know, but you try and make it right. You live moral lives, you're honest, you work hard, you treat your employees well, you treat your kids well, your neighbors are good, everyone says you're great. And Jesus says you need to get a life. You need to get a new life. By just trusting me and my work on the cross, wiping out your sin, ascending into heaven and sending my spirit to make you into a new human being. That's what you need. And if that's what you need, you can just grab me after the worship time or grab somebody and say, oh, no, 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 no. I want to go next. Let's pray. Lord, uh, it would be terrifying to think that our good is not good enough. Because the, the truth is, many of us, man, we, <laughs> we try really hard. And we, we recognize our faults and we, we try to correct them and we get counseling and we try harder and we grit our teeth and we ask for accountability. And, and it's good, it's good that that happens. But it's not good enough. And that's like, that would be so hard to take. And we just feel like a failure if it wasn't that. No, but what is good enough is simple. It's to look upon the cross and to accept you as the Messiah that you are, not the Messiah that we want you to be. And to put our faith, our trust, our hope in that you have paid the price for our sin and your sacrifice will wash us clean and your spirits whom you send upon us will make us new. And for that, we are so very thankful that we can hear dry bones rattling. And we can know that the Spirit is present and wants so desperately to work in each one of our hearts. Maybe, maybe to raise us from the dead and to begin to put us back together because our bones of life are scattered all over because we've lived such a, a rough time. Maybe some of us are a little bit further ahead and our bones are together, but we're, our muscles are weak. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to come and to strengthen our spiritual muscles that we can stand for you in, in difficult circumstances. 
that we can witness for you when those around us might stand against you. And some of us, Holy Spirit, need to get our marching orders to join this vast army and to use the spiritual gifts that you bestow upon us to serve, to love, to give, to encourage, to bless, to worship, to teach, to love kids, to cook, to practice hospitality, to throw a party, to take the aged for groceries, to not just hand five bucks to a person on the street, but to sit and listen for a while. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, make these dry bones live. Give us new birth from above. Blow across this place. We don't know where you come from and we don't know where you're going to take us. We just know that we can trust you and we need you. So we ask in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, fall upon us from above. Make us alive through Christ. Amen.